Amen, amen indeed. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into that place. Amen. Well, last night I was uh, praying with one of my daughters as she was getting ready for bed, and she was praying for me, and it was beautiful, and uh, she remembered in the middle of her prayer that it was church this morning, and that I was going to be preaching this morning, and she said, and Jesus, I pray for daddy at church tomorrow when he's preaching, and I pray that daddy wouldn't embarrass himself. <laughs> and, thanks, bud. I mean, I guess I, I pray that too. Uh, we'll see. That's yet to be determined here this morning, I suppose. We'll see how it goes, but as we begin, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 10 together this morning. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to begin just reading the passage that God is going to be walking us through this morning. Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. And it says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What is God calling you to do? And when have you done enough? How do you know what God is asking you to do? Your mission, your purpose. How do you know what God is calling you to do? And how do you know when you're finished? When you're good enough? This morning we're continuing our new series, Kingdom Stories, looking at the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus told us to help us understand his Father, to tell us about God, about his kingdom, about what he's like, what he cares about, what life is supposed to look like, what he created us to be. If we want to walk closely with God and live in relationship with him, we have to know what he is like. And Jesus came to show us that and to tell us that. 
but we have to be paying attention. Because we can treat these parables like Aesop's fables or stories with a a simple moral lesson or pithy sayings. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step or a rolling stone gathers no moss and we all nod along sagely. Mm, Yes, very deep. But Jesus isn't trying to be clever. He's not trying to be wise. He's trying to describe God to us. The infinite, eternal, all-powerful creator of the universe who spoke existence into existence. With just a word. The length and breadth and wonder and mystery of the universe created with pure love and power with no effort, no work, no loss. Creating all of this and all of us in complete love and wonder to share himself. How do we begin to comprehend what that means? What this is, what we are, who he is. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us about, what he wants us to understand, to know, to love. And the best he could do for us, because we're so slow and small, is these simple stories that somehow capture the infinite nature of God himself for us. And that's what we're doing here today. Jesus is walking through his ministry. He's teaching, he's sharing, he's living, displaying the the love and power of God to us. He gathers crowds of eager listeners and armies of opponents, people who are curious about what he's doing. And people who are terrified of what he might be. What he represents for them. He has healed illnesses and disabilities. He's cast out demons and rescued people from suffering. He's offered hope and truth and tried to describe to people what he is doing. And everywhere he goes, people just don't get it. And largely because we are constantly trying to come to God on our own terms. And that's where we come today. Jesus is teaching and someone comes to him wanting to justify himself. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. 
And that really should be the end of the story. If this guy had any brains at all, he even got the right answer. But he was wrong from the very beginning because he stood up to test Jesus. He didn't want to know. He wasn't interested in the answer. He wasn't hungry to learn or to grow or to deepen his understanding of God. He wanted to test Jesus, which is, it's, it's just a bad plan. It's not going to go well for you. And Jesus' response is so perfect to throw it right back at this guy. This, I mean, this was a common enough approach in, in Jewish culture. Even today, rabbis will teach by using questions. Someone will ask them a question and they will respond with a question. That's a, a teaching style that is prevalent in the Jewish community. And it's something that Jesus is using here. And this expert in the law gives the answer that any Jewish child would have known. This was foundational for them. It sounds profound to us because we've maybe drifted a little bit too far from some of the things that they knew and understood. But it's something that they just knew. Like we would know a church kid would know John 3.16 or Jesus loves me. This is the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's one of, if not the most holy verses in all of the Hebrew scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. They wore this, or the priests and rabbis did anyways, in little boxes on their heads. And they would attach it to the doorposts of their home. They knew the answer. This guy knew the answer. Everybody did. But Jesus knew this wasn't what he was asking. He knew this man wasn't wondering what the scriptures said about righteousness and eternal life. He saw this man's heart. And he knew the selfishness that laid there. And when he said the man gave the correct answer, he knew what was coming next. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's the key to the whole thing right there. He wasn't genuinely curious. He wasn't hungry for righteousness, to pursue God, to understand the heart of God. He wanted to just be fine. And there's that word again. Good enough. And Jesus' answer is so incredibly brilliant because if he had said even something true, but something like, all people are your brothers and sisters or the people from every nation or even if he had chosen to be more exclusionary and said something like all of God's chosen people are your brothers and sisters it would have done nothing but invite endless questions and qualifications from this expert in the law it says he's an expert he knows what he's doing he knows how to debate 
And all it would have done is invite him to then respond, well, what about this passage or that passage? Those people are sinful and unclean. We can't associate with them. Technicalities and excuses and controversy and debate. And instead, Jesus tells this simple story revealing more profound depth and truth than any factual answer possibly could have. And he completely disarms this expert with profound truth that cannot possibly be argued because it's so simple and so obviously true. Though we try to hide from it. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, probably pretty quietly, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus doesn't doesn't say where the man is from, what he does, who he is. It didn't matter. He might have been Jewish, He might not, but he was hurt and in need. And the priest and the Levite, God's holy people, leaders and examples in Israel, not only passed by, but crossed over to the other side of the road to stay away. And the Samaritan, a people who were considered unclean, unworthy in the eyes of Jewish culture at the time, showed the love that God's people were supposed to. And Jesus asks, who was a neighbor? The one who had mercy. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I mean, that's it, isn't it? Go and do that. It's so simple and obvious. Or at least it should be. But we kind of have two problems with this. And the first is the exact same one that we talked about last week. This only works when we're paying attention. 
This parable has to be true when we're not thinking about it. Right now, we're all imagining a scenario when we would go and do likewise. Some scenario where we would lend a helping hand and we maybe even feel pretty good about ourselves that we would, look how good I am that I would imagine doing something so nice for somebody like that. And then we pat ourselves on the back a little bit. But some scenario where we would lend a helping hand and share our resources and our time to care for someone. But the Samaritan wasn't a paramedic traveling around in an ambulance looking for someone who needed help. He was busy. He was going somewhere, probably meeting someone, and he had to keep moving. This was an interruption. And we do not like interruptions. Go and do likewise. I will, we think right now. And then, even when someone doesn't take off from a light that turns green fast enough, we are immediately irritated at that. Let alone a situation that would, as in Jesus' example here, take up at least the rest of our day, if not overnight, cost us hundreds of dollars. A denarii was about a day's wages. So this guy gave this guy probably a couple hundred bucks or more and said, I'll pay you whatever else after. It would completely derail everything we had planned, all the things he had organized to do, the important things that he was about. We're not going to do that. Because we're not paying attention. And we're busy. And we're important. And we're going somewhere and we have something to do and I don't have time for this. The hard part of this parable is the fact that our lives are just that, ours. And we so rarely are ready for God to interrupt us. Because it catches us off guard and the response Jesus desires from us requires our hearts to be soft and our eyes to be focused on the kingdom. Are you ready for God to interrupt you? And should it really even be an interruption? Or should it have been what you were looking for? But that leads us to the second problem that we run into, and that's often that we struggle to see that the important things of the kingdom aren't big, they aren't dramatic. They aren't special. They don't seem spiritual. We have this notion that if God is going to ask me to do something, it's going to be something big and it's going to be something dramatic and it's going to be something bold and spiritual and profound and most importantly, it's going to be something different than what I'm doing now. What is God calling me to do? At the very least, it's going to be different than what I'm doing now. It's not going to be this, whatever it is. And because we imagine that it has to be big, and it has to be different, and it has to be dramatic, we can so easily look right over the top of the opportunity that God is putting in front of us. 
to share his love and his gospel of hope and life and freedom. And really, we're looking over the head of the person that God is putting in front of us. Because the kingdom is people. And God's mission, and so our mission, is people. The priest and the Levite were probably on their way to lead big ministries, organizations, to direct major resources and be responsible even to do good things. And we do the same. We work to build businesses and structures and organizations And we start missions works and we organize boards and we write constitutions and we hold events with all kinds of logistics and planning and it's all good and can do good, but none of it matters more than people. People are the mission. People are the ministry. People are the focus. People are God's heart. And all the things we do that we build and plan and organize and meet about and get invested in and start to take very seriously must only serve to serve people. And if our plans and works get in the way of that, we've lost the plot. God doesn't have a huge, grand, dramatic plan that is so different from what you are doing now. Because what you're doing right now is full of opportunities to live the mission that he has given us. Do what's in front of you. Do what makes sense. There's need right in front of you. People have needs right in front of you. So do that. Start there. I encountered a very silly comic this week that no one seems to find funny but me. But it illustrates this so well, and we'll throw it up on the screen. A man is is sitting at a desk, and he says, accounting is sucking the life out of me. And he cries out, what is my true purpose, God? And God says, accounting. Get back to work, please. We seem to imagine that serving God looks different than what we're doing. It has to look different. But the heart of serving God, of loving your neighbor, is loving whoever is in front of you, wherever you are. Sometimes God might call you to something specific and something different. That happens. But almost always, he has given you the tools and instructions and opportunities and asked you to just live. What you're doing is not nearly as important as who you're doing it for. What you're doing is not nearly as important as who you're doing it for. 
If you are living with God's eyes and God's heart, your job or your circumstances really don't matter a ton because wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're serving Him. You are watching for opportunities to share His love, His life, His gospel, His hope in words and in action. The best evangelist I know is a welder. He has had endless conversations with his co-workers as he works all over the province. He's constantly telling me stories of ways and opportunities that, that God has given him to speak hope and life to people as they work shoulder to shoulder. And he's not walking through the full gospel every day with every person, but he's having conversations because God is opening up opportunities and he is paying attention. He is letting God interrupt him. The best missionary I know owns a roofing company. He's the hardest working guy I know. He's built an amazing company and the whole thing exists to build the kingdom. He hires people to build into them. He has invested endless dollars and hours into helping those in need and pouring into all kinds of ministries here and abroad, many times with his business and his roofing skills, but sometimes just with the resources and money that God allows him to earn through those things. He has put roofs on churches and schools and buildings all around the world using the skills that he has for the kingdom. He's paying attention. The Samaritan wasn't looking for something spiritual to do. Because everything we do is spiritual. And the priest and the Levite in all of their importance missed what God was doing right in front of them. And the Samaritan saw it. Because he was paying Attention. The kingdom doesn't happen somewhere else when we're doing kingdom things, spiritual things. The kingdom is happening all around us, all the time, every moment of every day because the kingdom is people. And your mission is the people in your life. That you encounter on your journey. Who is your neighbor? What are you supposed to be doing? You already know the answer. We just. Get in our own way a little bit sometimes. Not seeing what God is putting right in front of us. Or imagining that. What we're seeing just isn't big enough. Are you ready for those situations? Are you paying attention? Because God is going to interrupt you. And if you're paying attention, it won't be an interruption. It'll be what you were waiting for. Let's pray together. Father God, We bow before you again this morning and we say thank you.
We say thank you that you are working, that you are moving. We say thank you that you have invited us into your mission, into your plan, into the things that you are doing. And Father God, we just ask your forgiveness for the endless times when we miss it. When we get so wrapped up in our own things, even good things, things we think are important. And many of them are important, but God, they're not what you have. And we get distracted. And we get irritated. We even get angry when the opportunities you place in front of us interrupt what we were going to be doing. Father, Jesus lived here to show us what a human life is supposed to look like and he was so ready to be interrupted because they weren't even interruptions. It's what he was waiting for. The opportunities to speak, to share love, to go in a completely different direction than what he was. He was ready. Father, help us to be ready. Help us to see the little opportunities in front of us, God. Huge ministries and huge, incredible, amazing spiritual things didn't happen out of nothing. It was obedience in small things over and over and over again that you led people to the places that you wanted them to be in. God, we want to be used. And we're not even looking for that big thing. We just want to do the next thing. Whatever you put in front of us. So Father, this morning we pray that you would give us your eyes. Give us your ears. Give us your heart to see the people that are in front of us that you desire to share your love with, that we can care for, and give us the confidence and the wisdom to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.